the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. And one of your favorites is the man who speaks truth to power every single day. You see him all the time on Fox News. He's the author of incredible works. One of my favorites is A War Like No Other. Then the Second World Wars, yes, in plural. You have to buy it to understand. And most relevant of all, the case for Trump. He is, of course, a regular guest, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University, classicist, military historian, strategist extraordinaire, Victor Davis Hanson. Professor Hanson, welcome back to America First. Thank you for having me. Um, let me just read to you. We, we played some lovely uh, audio from Kaylee McEnany in the White House yesterday, and she, uh, she used some, some visual aids in her presentation, and it goes to the heart of uh, one of the uh, topics in your latest piece at American Greatness, the title of which is Collusion versus Collusion. And it's two headlines from that uh, so-called uh, media organ Politico, The first says, Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinformation, dozens of former intelligence officials say. The second one, written a few weeks later, from the same politico, says, uh, Justice Department's interest in Hunter Biden covered more than taxes. Um, Is there any credibility left in the mainstream media, Professor Hansen? No, I don't think so. Uh Notice what they you didn't say because you couldn't say, and that is, did anybody apologize <laughs> or uh, bring Retract. it up? It's sort of like the hero of 1984, what he did. Winston Smith, remember, all he did all day was just put everything in the memory hole. Yes. And that's what they do at CNN and MSNBC. They just rewrite, and they think we're stupid. But we do remember that it was it was not just... The media it was 50 former, remember, intelligence officers, mm-hmm. including, I think, the last five CIA directors. Including Obama's it. director of CIA, NSA, and DNI. Absolutely. And they swore to us that uh, it was Russian disinformation had created, I guess, the emails on Hunter's laptop, among all the other things that were on there. And nobody believed it at the time, but Joe Biden really ran with it. I thought Bill Barr did a really good job, but that was my only criticism of him was that Biden was using the silence of an ongoing investigation to suggest that there was no ongoing investigation of Hunter, and the media picked that up, and they kept printing things. Well, if these these, uh, laptop allegations were serious, obviously he'd be under an investigation, but he actually was. Yes. And so I thought it was incumbent upon just a one, on the attorney general, just have a one-sentence statement. Currently, we are investigating Hunter Biden, contrary to media reports. That was all he had to say. 
I think yeah. it would have made maybe a, a difference. Let, let me. This this issue that you just raised has been a thorn in my side since uh, Bill Barr's resignation, especially or firing, whichever it really was, and I think he was fired. Uh, this this philosophy that, that he seemed to follow, whereby. Well, we didn't disclose the ongoing uh, felony investigations of the vice president's son because it could have affected the election. Well, well, surely by not mentioning it in a one-sentence statement, as you just proffered, is likewise interfering politically in an election. Yeah, it was. And I don't mean that just because the media wasn't reporting it. What I mean is the former vice president, an active candidate for the presidency, said there was nothing to it. Yeah. And he had been assured by these 50 group of people, this group of 50 people that he'd recruited, probably were partisan, that they could confirm that. And so there was the, there, he was putting his impromptuor on it. And I think as a candidate for president and a former vice president, so all I think it just one statement would have been perfectly legitimate and i think it would have made some difference because we're talking about an election where 42,000 strategically located votes might have made a difference yeah uh, but it's not just the the media's handling of it or the lack of one sentence one line press statements from incumbent attorneys general uh, in your article and you, uh, we're going to post it right now on twitter on facebook it's at amgreatness.com that's american greatness collusion versus collusion isn't there a deeper rot in the system uh, for me there's a, a personal issue I, I did a lot of work with the fbi before i joined the administration uh, and i don't know uh, professor if if the FBI knocked on my door tomorrow, I would probably call a lawyer before I open the door. And that's not how I felt five years ago. How, how deep is, is the rot and how justified is that uh, leeriness of these incredibly powerful organizations like the CIA and the FBI and the DOJ? Well, I think the record speaks for itself. We had an FBI lawyer, Eric Kleinsmith, that forged a FISA document and showed no remorse about doing it until he got caught. And then we had two high-ranking uh, FBI, one lawyer and one an operative, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, that just pretty much admitted that they were biased, and, and they were part of the dream team. And then we had the dream team that fired them but didn't tell us why they fired them and staggered the departure so we wouldn't inquire. And we had the FBI, remember, that uh, cleansed all the cell phones from FBI agents so that we couldn't find or the text message history. And this is not even getting into the CIA or the DIA. So, yeah, I, I feel the same way, that they need to – I think they need to decentralize it and put the DIA in another city and put the FBI in Kansas yes. and put – and break them up so they don't get congregated and see each other at lunch and see all these government officials. Just break them up, and I think they would have and get a more diverse. I mean, politically, geographically, type of agent. And, and uh, but something's deeply wrong. And Donald Trump was sort of a scab that he tore it off, and there was this putrid wound underneath that we didn't really understand the extent of it. And the tragedy of all of this is that. Like the retired military, 20 or 30 people who came out and called him Mussolini and, uh, you know, he should be removed sooner than later. Uh, all of those people, like the CIA and the FBI, they lost their conservative support 
So there was always progressives saying to say, take, for example, the retired military, we don't want you evolving door into General Dynamics or Northrop or Lockheed. As soon as you get out of your top billet, and then the conservatives said, well, they're military people. They have, a, they have a right. And then the same thing with the FBI. We want to clamp down on how you surveil. And that, I don't think there's going to be any conservative resistance now. If, if somebody on the liberal side says, I want to harness in the FBI or the CIA or the retired military, make them follow the code of military um, justice, uh, code of uni- uniform code of military justice, I think a lot of conservatives said, go ahead. I don't care. Yeah. And that's sad because they depended on a conservative base, and yet they've shown themselves disreputable. There was a, a, a phrase that just stuck with me when I lived in, in post-communist Hungary, a, a philosopher who saw the crimes of the past going unpunished, especially uh, the people who put down the revolution in 1956 in, in Hungary. This philosopher came up with the, the, the phrase, have we become a, a land of no consequences? Given all that we've witnessed and the lack of anybody going to prison, are we seeing, Professor Hansen, America slowly becoming a land of no consequences? Yeah, I think so. I mean, all these things that we laugh at in the academy as these abstract, obtuse theories, they all intend to filter. It takes about 10 or 15 years, maybe longer, but they get into the popular culture and popular politics, government, bureaucracy. We had something called critical legal theory you probably know about. Yes. That the law as it's written and it's enforced is a construct of white male oppressors, and therefore it has to entail the social, cultural realities. And that means that prosecutors, investigators should not follow the law per se, but make up their own law. And you see that not just for the FBI and the manner they conduct investigations, but also the Los Angeles uh, County, uh, Mr. Gascon, the prosecuting attorney, he just wrote off 15 crimes and said, you know what, from resisting arrest to public intoxication to drug, we're not going to, they don't exist anymore. Right. We see that in Seattle and Portland when the law is not enforced. So who you are in the terms of your ideology, it affects how you are going to be treated. So we don't have a quality under the law anymore. Um, there is a very powerful, probably the most powerful conservative commentator uh, today who has a radio station, who spent a radio program, spent at least a good half an hour earlier today. It wasn't his generation. It wasn't something that he had written, but he went through an article which delineated the, the factually correct constitutional avenues whereby the Electoral College vote could be delayed on January the 6th by just one member of the House, one member of the Senate, and if delayed long enough to January the 18th, would trigger what is called the contingent election, the way in which uh, Thomas Jefferson was elected by the House of Representatives, and then the Vice President would be chosen by the Senate. Um, is there a danger to uh, detailing these uh, hypotheticals, even if uh, they are factually correct by the wording of the Constitution? Um, are we deluding ourselves? Uh, is this not the way to respond to clear uh, proven examples of election fraud. Your response to those who propagate such potential uh, scenarios? Well, there's two issues here. One is the practical political consequences, and one is the legal. Yes. Legally, it's fine to to speculate because uh, 
these things are in the Constitution. People have a right to discuss them. I think Rush, I didn't hear him today, but in the past, he's always prefaced those remarks by saying this is a long shot or highly right. unlikely or something like yes. that. Yeah, so he doesn't give the impression this is going to happen, because it's not going to happen whether you like it or not. I don't think there's any. Just because people after 233 years of more or less tradition are not going to do it, even though I happen to think that a lot of these mathematical, statistical studies show that it was highly improbable to get the type of turnout and disproportionate results that those five swing states got. But that being said, politically, I think part of the reason is they're looking at this Georgia, and and if we look at the polls, to what degree we can count on, but Pythagor and some of the conservative ones I do trust, and it's, it's dead even. And so I think there's a worry that uh, if we should lose those, then people are going to turn around and, and blame the MAGA base and Donald Trump. Yes. And so, and that's what I'm worried about because I have a feeling that Donald Trump going down there Saturday or the next two weekends and storming the state can get two or three point edge for both candidates, take the Senate, stop most of the Biden uh, uh agenda and then just say to biden we're not going to go be not going to be punitive we're just going to do we're going to act exactly like your senate when it had 48 votes acted toward donald trump but we may have 50. so when you bring up a judicial judicial nominee or an appointment we're going to look just like you did and they voted in some of those 48 and nothing no and i think that's so important to tell those people that you're not going to. We're not going to be symmetrical anymore. You tried to obstruct the Trump agenda. You yes. voted no, 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 and only by the grace of God, by two senators, were we able to override you. But you're not going to have that luxury because we own the Senate, and you're going to have to deal with us if you want one judge appointed. And I think that's really important to win those two seats. And I'm not saying I have the intelligence to know how this drags out, but. It's starting to fragment not just the rhino. I, I don't care about those guys, but it's starting to fragment some among the MAGA base, and that's what I'm worried about. I, but I, I have no problem talking about it, but I just don't think that it's going to happen. Why? Why is that? Just because of warranted, tradition? We're going to do things in this country that have never been done after 200 years. And then there's a fear as well that not that they wouldn't do it anyway but the democrats have a they're going to do a lot of things if they win the senate and a lot of them are going to be process things and the first thing that's going to go is the electoral college right and they and they're going to try to whip up public opinion and say look at donald trump he lost by joe biden got 51 percent almost of the popular vote if there is such a thing called a popular vote, and then he's uh, he's in it, he's doing all these esoteric of the electoral college. Let's just get rid of it, and then people are going to say, "Well, you have to have two thirds of the Senate and three quarters of the House." He said, "No, you don't. You can just get enough blue states to vote not to in the legislators to vote not to choose electors on the basis of uh, their own in-state voting tallies, but they'll use the national vote." I think it's unconstitutional, but that's what they're doing. That's what's going to happen, but they don't have enough public. They just won Colorado, and so now we're up to what, 235 of the 270. So we're looking at a constitutional crisis. I think in the next year or two, where we're going to get 270 electoral vote states, but we're not going to get probably the majority of actual numbers of states. Right. We're going to have two systems. 
going to have some states are going to say we're not going to pick electors unless they reflect the national vote. We're going to have others and say we're going to re- follow the Constitution, and they're going to be more numerous than we are. And then, and the consequences mm-hmm. for us um, as a nation writ large, if uh, Biden should be sworn in, if the de- the vote isn't delayed or the the counting isn't delayed, and then of the what seventy three, seventy four million Americans, maybe fifty million believe that the president stole his position, the new president? What, what does that mean for America, Professor? Well, I think, well, just a footnote, I think it's more than that. I mean, Nate Silver said six out of ten had no confidence in the sanctity of the election. Right. So I think, I think most people don't. I don't know what it is, but I do think that we've had this before with Cleveland, but especially with Jackson. Yes. And rather than contest it in 1824, he won, they won big in the midterm of 1826, and then he had a landslide. It was righteous anger. And so what I'd like to see Trump do, if, if, he, if, he, if the Senate's not going to be with him, I don't think that they're going to be with him. I'd like to have him take credit for winning Georgia and then just crisscross the country, become a major player, and win the midterm election in that landslide. I think they can do that big time. And then storm back and get get it right this time. And I say get it right by controlling the Senate and controlling the House with people who are far more conservative than the Paul Ryan House or the Senate was in, in uh, 2016. We're, we're almost out of time, but it sounds to me, Professor, as if you are convinced that whatever happens, Donald Trump isn't going anywhere as a political actor. No, no, he's not, he's not going anywhere. <laughs> Neither his agenda nor he, the person, is going anywhere. Well, that's what we like to hear, and that's why this man wrote the essential book, The Case for Trump. Follow him right now, the Stanford University Hoover Institution's Victor Davis Hansen, author of numerous books, any book you pick. It's just fabulous. Follow him at V.D. Hansen. Merry, Merry Christmas to you, Professor. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. There is one big question still outstanding from our recent election, and that question is this. Who will control the United States Senate? There are two races in Georgia which will decide control of the Senate for at least the next two years, likely longer. In one of those races, the contest is between Kelly Loeffler and Raphael Warnock. And in this race, you're looking at something that is unprecedented in the state of Georgia. The Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock may just be the most radical candidate conceivable from a state like Georgia. When it comes to the question of abortion, he is one of the most radical candidates to run, not only in the South, but anywhere in recent American history. The question is, do the voters in Georgia actually recognize this? We're going to find out on January the 5th. Now is the time for the voters of Georgia to wake up and understand what's going on. The entire nation is watching. I'm Albert Moeller. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Impacting policy decisions today. Preparing public leaders for tomorrow.